usually, in your experimental setup, you want to define something, let's say a gene, you might define a protein, yet that you think that it has a specific function. One way of proving without any doubt that the function of your gene is what you hypothesized, is to remove it. Then you see, if it doesn't have how important it is, how it will look, how the organism will look. Now you understand that some of these questions can be responded, you can respond to this question in a different way. So in a, if you want to study the function of receptor A, you could put an antagonist and you can do a pharmacological interaction and see what will happen. So you can start getting information on your question. The problem is if you do a pharmacological, let's say, model, this doesn't pass in germline. If your drug that you're using to study your interaction has non-specific or outer effects or uh, different affinities, different receptors, different uh, potentially side effects, what you will see is the combined phenotypic feature of, of all this. Part will be your interaction with your receptor, part will be with the other receptors uh, or side effects that you'll have. If you want to study, let's say, pituitary hypothalamic function, you can surgically cut the stock, you know what, what I'm saying? It's the connection, let's say, of the hypothalamus to the pituitary. So you're not going to get any signal from the hypothalamus. So surgically, you could start getting a model. But these kind of models have the problem that are gross, <coughs> except that they, they are not genetically engineered, they don't pass anything. You have to every time kill one, I mean, operate one and do it. But at the same time, it affects multiple signaling from the hypothalamus to the pituitary. And your phenotype will be confounded with the problem that you now do not check interaction one to one, but multiple things that are coming up and multiple signal. Genetically engineered mice gives a clean cartoon because you can put, let's say, your scalpel, your biological scalpel, to one gene. And you can make it change the way you want. So it's clean cut, no problems, no interactions, no side effects. Okay? So another technique that we learned in the last 20 to 30 years, they permit us to introduce new genetic material in the mouse germline. Germline means the pass to the next generation. These techniques are revolutionary in mouse genetics, and it makes possible to transfer any gene, normal or mutant, into germline or mutate specific genes via targeting the embryons themselves. And that was two years ago a Nobel Prize. So the technique and the first people that made it to what the Nobel Prize. 
So we describe two different techniques. Methods of introducing exogenous genes directly in the mouse egg via DNA microinjection, generate the device. So what you have to remember here is that to make a transgenic mouse, we introduce a gene, an extra gene, an exogenous gene. And we introduce directly to a mouse embryo. To make a knockout, we introduce our alteration in embryonic stem cells, and then we inject the cells to a mouse embryo. So we have two different techniques. The second one has an extra step. Is that clear? In the first, we introduce our gene directly to a mouse embryo. The second technique we introduce to embryonic stem cells first, and then we introduce the embryonic stem cells to a mouse embryo. One more step, slower, more expensive, more time-consuming, more difficult. Okay, let's start the first technique, generation transgenic mouse. It has two steps. We make our transgene, the vector, that we need, that carries our alteration, and then the microinjection is the method of putting the RDNA to a mouse. So how we make a transgenic mouse? How make a transgenic? How make a vector suitable for our research. So you have cloned gene A, you are interested in the function of gene A. There are different ways of approaching your problem. One, you want to see what gene A, normal or mutant, is actually doing in a specific tissue or in a specific time point. So you want to introduce your gene and study its effect on the mouse. Depending on where you expect or you want to have expression, you have to pick a suitable promoter. So the choice is yours. And depends on your question. You want to express DNA everywhere, you pick a global strong promoter. You want to express it on a specific time point, then you have a promoter that starts firing on the time point of your choice. You can have an inducible promoter. You can have anything that you want. Okay? You can buy them, you can PCR them up, the promoter regions. You can uh, get them from somebody that has done an experiment similar with what you want and it has the tools that you need. Any propagation, any kind of construct will be propagated in your bacteria, yes? And therefore, you need what? 
you need a plasma vector. Yes? So you now you PCR your promoter and you cloning on your vector. Now there are no specific rules any cloning vector will do. Depends how big is your insert and what you are planning to do with that. But any vector can use, any cloning vector will work. Another part that you need is your genometers. You want to express your mutating gene A in the brain. So you pick a brain-specific promoter that is expressed to the neurons that you want at the time that you want, blah, 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 blah. And now you have your gene, the one that you want to study, and you hook it up. Okay? Now, if the gene is small, put it on. If it's huge, you have to work with the CDNA. Is that clear? These are cloning um, mechanisms, so you have to be able to chop something out and put it. Okay? So how big? It depends on your vector. You have a plasma vector, you have a cosmic vector, yaks, whatever. Depending on what you are working with, different sizes can fit inside. Intros. described previous time, two days ago, intros are needed for the stabilization of the message, and it had been shown in multiple experiments that if you do the same construct with or without intron, the one that has the intron gives higher expression. You see, you like your gene of interest to be expressed and to be stable and be able to get some kind of of a phenotype at some point, better be expressing strong enough. So, if you put a cDNA, will it have an intron? No. There are plasmic vectors that you can buy that have synthetic introns or intron. One is enough. So you make your construct in such a way using a vector that will have. An intron could be any kind of intron. You don't anything you find would work. And immediately after, you need a polyadenylation signal for what we described two days ago. So your vector will have these components. Okay? You glow. You put everything. You are happy. You can study as much as you want your vector to be sure that everything will grow properly. What you need for a successful transgenic production is to be able to separate the vector and the vector sequences from the insert. And what is your insert? What is your insert? Louder! No, you need the promoter, gene, internal polyadenylation. So you should be able to remove the plasmid sequence from your constant. 
Okay? So you make a lot, make a huge culture, and then you have to be able to do that. And how usually you could do that? What? Louder antibiotics. <clears throat> no, antibiotics is to select your and grow your your. Thank but you. how I can remove the plasmid from oh, the insert? Restriction enzymes. Sorry. Restriction enzymes. So in in order to succeed in removing my plasmid from my insert, usually when you do mass, you make the mother circular, or you use the plasmid sequence as a wave line. Have you seen that anywhere? anywhere? No. Okay, usually people in cloning fields, they have other defectors around with the insert drawing inside, or the plasma usually with a wave line and the insert on a straight line, and then like that. And this means that it goes all around the eventually clone. So you want to have specific restriction enzymes? Yeah. Yes? You would use a multiple cutter probably. No. Why do you need a multiple cutter? Well, it depends on your, uh, what you want to look for, I guess. Louder! It depends on what you want to see. It. I want to remove. You want to just remove, you want to, then, yeah. So I was thinking, like, identify plasma you want to use. So you would like to have unique, unique restriction enzymes, sites, one from this side and one from this side, or the same. But these enzymes do not cut anywhere here. Okay, so that's the first rule of thumb, the first thing that you have to, when you are designing your uh, construct, to find a vector that has a knot, for example, a very rare cutter, either in both sides, or two very rare cuts, one from each side. Hmm? In the plasmid sequence, very close where the insertion of your construct is. So if I, let's say, have enzyme A that cuts here and here, you make a ton of this, you digest it, and you run a gel, how many pounds you get? You'll get two. Louder! Two. Two bugs. Are we sure for that? Depends on. So, no, if they are unique, <laughs> you get two pounds. There's no other. If you get more, you're in trouble. Okay, you start again. Okay. So you get two bunks, but you should be able to distinguish one from the other. What is your transient and what is your insert? And in order to be able to distinguish them, how do you distinguish them? Size, not length. Louder! <laughs> size. Size. So you better have a different size. So the two rules in the design that you have to keep somewhere in your mind is unique side left and right of your insert so you can be able to excise what the construct from the plasmid and that the plasmid sequence and the construct should have different sizes. So when you run an algorithm preparative gel, which is here, so you get two parts far, far away. One here and one here. Yes? And you know that well, this is 3KB and this 12, or the opposite, so you know which of the two is what you want. It's as simple as that. 
we built pieces like Lego. So what we have the user doing, after you verify that the constant have everything you want and everything is cloned properly, you make a huge spread, you purify for a column, there are specific columns that you can use. I'm not gonna go into details in time. Here you digest or isolate a vector from the insert, you use a preparative gel. A preparative gel is a regular agarro gel that it has a comb that has a tooth, one tooth, huge, that you can load milligrams, micrograms, a large amount. You run this preparative gel, and there are different ways that if you know what is your insert, let's say here, is your insert, in this thing here, you have to remove lots of different techniques. What we are using in my lab is we make a hole here in the agarros, cut the pulpits out, whatever is in front of this useful band, we put a low melting, very pure agarros, and then we continue the running for this thing to go inside in our new clean agarros container, and then we use an agarist treatment, enzyme that eat agarros, that leaves our DNA happy. We will extract them non precipitated and we suspend in an injection buffer. In a buffer needed for injections. Okay? Concentration of the buffer is given here. I nobody cares to for you to remember it, but trees and LDA has to be accurately measured or nothing will be ever reported. Okay? You suspend in a concentration of 1 to 3 micrograms per ml and you are ready to inject. In actual terms, from a piece of paper, from a piece of paper, and here it might take you a couple of weeks. Okay, depending how fast you have your pieces and how fast you can clone. And a month. From here, things are getting slow. Okay. Since I do not know what you know about the mouse, and how much you know about the mouse embryogenesis, let's go through a fast refreshing course. And please stop me whenever you don't understand. So, mouse embryogenesis is a brief gestation period of a mouse, 19 and a half days. Are we sure of that? Have you ever heard that? No, yes, many. What you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> what half means? Since Pardon? you know everything. <laughs> no, I thought you were asking the gestation period. That sounds right. It is right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> what the half means now? The half is after the sperm plug. Louder. The half comes after the sperm plug, so it's normally made at night that you wouldn't notice the sperm plug. She knows better than you. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> mice, do, mice do it in the night. Okay? So the next day, you go eager to see, did they do anything? Do you know how to sue it? To know if they did it in the night? You check for blood. Okay? 
okay? And for those that they do not know what the gland is, it's a white yellowish secretion that closes the vagina of the female mouse. The secretion is sperm and majorly prostrate materials, liquids that solidified. So if the male did the female, the next day you go there eagerly to check them. You can use a blood checker, which is like a dental probe. It's a metal thing that looks like that. But sometimes the dental people use it. Not the same one as <laughs> And you can find it there. And because the beating in the night, you rush 0.5 if you if you care to know. Okay? Now mice are very easy to check and very easy to work with. Rats are not. So there is a big difference. So you, you cannot find the blood. So if you go to your colony and you are searching your rats, most likely you'll be bitten, but you'll never find the blood. Okay. So what we have to keep in mind, and this is very important for this job to be working, there is no ray into the mouse kingdom. No ray. You understand what I'm saying? No ray. So if I put a boy and a couple of young, beautiful female mice, nothing will happen unless the female mouse is in mistress. No matter what. Male mice do not mount and rape female mice. That means that if we see the blood, something happened. And everything biological should be working. Okay? Female mice have an issue of four to have a cycle of four to five days. That makes our life easier. Now, in order to make a transgenic mouse, we have to inject what we call non-cell stage embryo, which is an embryonic E is an embryonic day, E, embryonic day 0.5. So then you put it in the night, the next day, you find what female have been plugged, you write 0.5, and this female will give embryos at non-cell stage. And it's what you want in order to inject. If you leave and you don't take the embryos a little longer, they will become at the priority 3.5, what's called blastosis. We'll describe that in a little bit. Why I care for blastosis? I care for blastosis because this is where you inject in order to make knockouts. Okay, you need a little more mature embryo. So in order to conserve animals, we do what is called superovulation, and it's injection of different hormones, similar to what is used for fertility treatments in humans. Okay? PMS is pregnant bearing syndrome, and SHG is human polymonic gonadotropic. So you can prime the female mice by injection of different hormones and in increase their ovulation. How many uh, embryos a mouse have? Usually? 
you overlay this thing with a non-toxic oil that you can see and you can move your eggs in each drop so you know you can count the drops you can know, know how many eggs you are putting you move them from one to another to another to another to wash them and how you do this we do, do it with a mouth papeter it's the only time that they tell you use your mouth okay Anywhere, other places, they say, don't use your mouth. But in this particular area, you draw glass capillary under flame in a specific way. Bend them or not bend them, depending on what is your way. You have a plastic tubing attached from one side to the capillary and the other to your mouth. And you can fish them and put them to different drops. Okay? Nobody has... As far as I know, I've done multiple times drink this thing, okay? It doesn't work. Anyhow, uh, so you move them there, you wash them, you clean them, eventually you want to play with them. And what you're playing with them, you have to inject them. You use a special microscope that is on a floating table, okay? So you will not have any vibration of the environment, the whole table floats a nitrogen cushion. It's an inverted microscope that has some extra things and the extra things it has some uh, micro manipulators. It's like uh, old pattern joysticks that controls some uh, three-dimensional movement arms that are hung on the air of the microscope and in these arms you attach glass capillaries Okay, the big one that looks here with smooth lips and big hole and things like that is called holding puppet. You can apply suction from here. And eventually what you are doing, you grab your egg like a ball and put it down. Keep it in your field and hold it nicely. From another capillary, which is finer, drawn like a needle, called needle glass capillary, you have loaded your DNA and you use another machine to apply and push things inside. So you go, you hold your ball, imagine that the egg is like a ball, and you go and pop it. If you're not holding nicely, it rotates. Okay, it falls off and then bye-bye. So you have to hold your egg down in the field and we go with the other one find the big pronouncers and go easy. Okay? Then, you push your DNA that this is loaded with a ton of DNA of the concentration of this guy to inject here. Now, there are computer programs that you can use injectors to do that. Okay? When user inject one picoliter, sometimes two, or these people that do it continuously can realize how much they inject by seeing under the microscope the metronutrus expand. If you put too much, it explodes on your eyes. If you put too little, you get nothing, but you can get used to put the correct amount. Okay? Then you remove your needles, and if your needle is very finely made, 
Thomas is minimum and is close and everything is happy. If you put too much, the concentrations are off. Uh, whatever everything is sliced and everything dies off. Okay? You inject them, the eggs one by one. You keep them in culture till you finish the same day. And then you have to go back. Go back where? The future. Hmm? That would be good if you could do it. But you cannot. Uh, you have already killed your donors. Eh? And we haven't managed to make mice in the petritis yet. Have we? No, we still need an environment to go back. We need a female to go back. But you already killed them. Mice are very suitable animals. Very suitable animals to generate recipients. So since you have killed the donors, you have to have a recipient mouse. A recipient mouse in this technology is called pseudo-pregnant. Means not really pregnant. Now how you can have not really pregnant mice? Okay. Let's speak about mouse physiology. A mouse, a female mouse, to be able to take care of a pregnancy, needs two things to happen in the correct time point. Copulation and implantation. Okay? Two things. So in order to generate a pseudo-pregnant mouse, we have to get a female nice mouse that copulates, that could copulate. But we do not want any of her eggs around. Why? How many eggs are you going to put in the basket? You put yours, the one that you altered. If it has equal number, then all of hmm? not going to work. So can you can have a generation of the pseudo-pregnant animal. You use a male stud or male studs that are fixed. Vasectomized. Hmm? So they have the libido, they have the secretion from the prostate which is 90% of the plaque, so you know who did what. Hmm? But no valve X. So you can get, you can go and fix the boys. Okay? Or you can get a strain, there are strains that are shooting guns for different reasons, but they still have libido. Many of these will do. Usually we'll fix them. It's easier, fast, and they work. Okay, so you have this, the studs, you put females, right? You check lugs at the same time that you are doing the egg donors, and you identify female mice that have been plugged by the guys that are shooting lugs. And you wait, so the pregnant. Ready? Recipients. So you inject 300 eggs in an afternoon. You keep them for a few hours in the incubator. You grade them who has been lysed or not. And then you take your good eggs and you go back to the recipients. At 0.5 embryonic day, the embryos is on the overtime. You anesthetize the recipient mice. 
You remove the ovary, it can easily be seen here. After you open a little the skin from the fat part, you remove it outside. And again, with the mouse, mouth control puppet, you put your eggs in the infidivulum. If the ovary looks like that, it's a mass. The ovary is a small coil that looks like here, and here it goes to the uterus from one side. Somewhere here there is something called infidivulum. It's like an opening, and you can go there under sterile microscope put your eggs back. So you throw everything inside. One metal clip, you don't even have to shoot the body cavity. Perfume male, you leave it, and if you are happy enough and lucky, in 19 and a half days, because this is the mouse gestation period, you're a proud father or mother of some pups. Yes? Some of them might be carrying the mutation that you have introduced. The pups that are born are called potential founders. Potential because not all of them will have your gene in. So you have to be able to identify what mouse carry what. Okay? How you identify that? You identify that by any assay that you could do to distinguish the exogenous gene that you put, yes, from a potential endogenous if an endogenous exists. Do I make sense? Hmm? Yes? So the possibility that the endogenous is using your own intron or this kind of assembly is practically zero, right? Uh, if the gene is huge and it has multiple introns, and you make, let's say, an oligo that goes from here to here, your, the endogenous gene will not be seen. If it has a huge intron here, yours doesn't have in cDNA, you could be able to see your 200, 300 basis amplification you want. Do that make sense? Hmm? So you prepare DNA by cutting a small piece of a tissue of your potential founders, and you do PCR or salvage or whatever else you like to do. Okay? Sometimes we clone a fluorescent marker, so you can see it in different ways. Okay? So anyhow, you identify what of these parts that were born are founders. Founders means have your genie. When they become sexual mature, sexual maturity in a ma mouse is about four to five weeks for a female and six to seven for a boy. You cross them with the other sex, and then you verify that the mutation, your alteration, is passed through germline. Is it clear? About thirty percent of the, if the person that injects not his job, thirty percent of the pups that are born are founders, and by 95% of those pass the mutation in their germline. 5% do not. You verify germline transmission, the same way you identify here, and then you check for different things. What are you checking is 
integration. So your DNA virus goes where? Your outer exogenous DNA will go where? find a nick somewhere, and if you're lucky, it will go there. Where that nick is? What chromosome? What position? No one knows. So it's a random integration of your exogenous DNA somewhere into the genome if it's passing through the general line. Usually there is one integration site, but not always. Okay. Sometimes, most of the times, you get multiple copies. In the same broken piece, you get too many. How many? Nobody knows. One, ten, hundred, three hundred, sometimes. The smaller the DNA that you inject, the more propensity of getting multiple clubs you have. You can design experimental ways to figure out all this. Ultimately, we care only for one thing. What do you care? You care for expression. You care for your gene to be expressed. You do, who cares if it's in, in integrated chromosome 2 or 5? But you care for your gene to be expressed. Yes? And you better prove by sacrificing not the founders because they are unique, but they are. F1s or F2s down, progeny, but they're expressing in any way you could verify expression. It could be Western, it could be Northern, it could be XCR, whatever. It is on the tissue and the time of your choice. Yes? Potential problems. This is the most important part. No expression. If it doesn't express the progeny of the first founder, you check the second founder. If the second founder doesn't express, you check the third founder. If all three founders is more than enough. Don't express, you clone wrongly. Two years, one and a half years later, you hit your head on the wall. I should have checked my cloning not better. Okay? If one founder does not give you expression, that part of the transient might have landed in a silent loss or in locus in the front of a strong promoter that altered his expression or silence incompletely. But the possibility, three independent founders, to have landed in silent locus, is, since it's a random integration, each event is a random event. Each one goes to somewhere else, in a different place. Do I make clear? Hmm? Statistically, the possibility of all three founders be silent, it means that you did something wrong. There is a possibility to get variegation, and variegation means expression in a different time point and a different 
the one you want, or both the one you want and another, because one of the transients have gone next to the promoter that drives express or somewhere else. This could be trouble, but the second or the third founders should not have the same effect. Sometimes this random integrations gives you an unexpected result that can be useful in another way, but it will not be expressed on the time in the place of your this. Another problem is mosaic expression, and for that there are not many things that you can do. And mosaic expression, does anyone know what it is? It's like a floors, the old floors. Some cells will have it and some cells do not have it. It's very messy, very difficult to analyze. Hmm? Okay. Yes? Any questions? Yes, sir. So when we are initially injecting our transgene into the embryo, or into the egg cell, rather, embryo, why do we specifically choose the male or nucleus over the female nucleus? Why not either or both? Um, okay. We, there are a lot of different ways for uh, nobody uses female promoters, nobody injects them both, it's too much, too much trouble and things like that. The main promoters gives high integration of the uh, transine in the genome, gives minimal damage and reduce the possibility of having animal mosaicism. And if you get an animal mosaicism, usually do not, the progeny do not get the germline transmission. So it's Practical transmission. Okay. Isn't mosaicism usually in somatic cells? Isn't that word? Is there? I've never heard of germline. I guess it, you can't pass them, but they, they will not pass them. Okay. First of all, if the if the the one cell stage goes to the cell stage, which comes really fast, before the DNA is incorporated, it can be one one of the two plus one years. So 50% of the animal can have it. That would be 50% of the germline, zero in the germline, or whatever percent in the germ cells. And that makes, uh, I mean, a lot of work. Okay? A lot of work means a lot of money and a lot of frustration. If we don't have any other questions here, let's go fast in the generation of knockout or not in mice. Powerful technique can give us Deletions, insertion, and polymutations were discussed only the deletions, but the same logic applies in everything. The, the huge difference between this technique and the transgenic technique is one extra step. So, an alteration, whatever we design or as a vector, is incorporated first in the embryons themselves, and the embryons themselves are injected, so it has one more step, more expensive, more time consuming. Second, Fundamentally huge difference is that in this particular case, we would like to have a deletion, insertion, or permutation on gene A. So you better go to gene A. So the previous, the integration were random. In this particular case, we want to go to one gene. So you have to go to the specific locus. Specific alterations. More difficult. Anything specific? Is difficult. So we'll describe gene activation, 
and gene activation is introduction of site-specific modification into the genome by homologous recombination. I will describe that if you have never heard what homologous recombination is. Between a specifically designed vector, some kind of this little different addition, and the chromosomal gene of interest in embryo cells. So it better go where we want, or then we will not have a division of gene A, we will have a division of something else. Yes? So the targeting constants are most commonly used to disrupt a targeting gene by inserting a heterologous sequence and or making a small division. And more specialized design models we will not describe today are needed to allow us from a whole range of predefined chromosomal alteration to remain from a single base pair change to mega-base division, truncation and translocations. You can do whatever you can imagine. I can move a part of a chromosome from one position inside another chromosome or inside a specific place. You can point point mutation on a specific gene. You can read, you can change, you can do different things. Powerful? Difficult. Inactivation. So what will describe the conventional gene account? There are a lot of different. The conventional gene account is an activation of the functionally one gene, the target, what we want, by introducing a positive selection marker and by making homologous recombination. So eventually what we produce is an allergy in all cells and tissue of the body from very early to the whole lifespan. If you don't have DNA, you don't have DNA. In all your cells and all your life. Okay? This is the logic behind it. So, let's skip right now this one. How we do it? The construction of vector here is a little more complicated. Let's say that we want to inactivate this. It's a target locus, gene A. We want to inactivate gene A. The possibility to remove the whole gene, it does exist if the gene is small. If it's not, usually we attack to replace or remove the promoter region and some of the first exon sequences. So how this is done? It's done by making a vector piece by piece that it does not have the area that we want to delete. It could be the promoter. It could be a DNA binding domain if this is what you want to study, interactions. It could be a similar peptide that takes it to out of the nucleus or into the brain. It could be whatever you decide. You pick the region, depending on that, you get different modifications of the vector. Eventually, if you don't want to have any expression, you remove as much as of the promoter and as much of the first exons. So you make a vector that have a division, the promoter region and exon 1 to 3 in this particular case. It's not existing on this. But what exists is this plus, and this is a positive selection cassette. So it's a gene that gives antibiotic resistance 
to our vector. What antibiotic? Whatever you want. Okay? Here you need, in order to get a homologous recombination, to have a 5' prime and the 3' prime homologous zone. So, you amplify, or you get somehow this sequence which is homologous to this one, and this sequence here that is homologous to that. At the end in the plasma, you can use a negative selection cassette, a cassette that its presence is bad for the clone. Okay? And there are a lot of this that you can buy at the end too. Eventually, you pass your DNA in embryonic stem cells that has this characteristic. And you use positive and negative selection in order to get a homologous recombinant. In practical terms, let's go a little backwards. You make your construct the way we described it. You get embryonic stem cells, and embryonic stem cells are pluripotent diploid mouse cells. Okay? You have a culture, and you zap. You use electricity to open the membranes, both in the cytoplasmatic and the nuclear, and pass your DNA inside. So you culture ESLs, cells, you use a sapping electric pulse and you pass your targeting vector in your cells. This is something called propagation. Okay? So you have cells that could have your vector in, not having your vector in, pieces of vector or whatever things could have done. Somehow you have to select this guy from that. Hmm? And this is where the positive and negative selection goes through it. So, if your vector is properly done, you should have this instead of your exon 1 and 2 and 3. Yes? The presence of this positive selection cassette in your ESLs, if it integrates in the correct place, it will give what? Resistance to whatever antibiotic is here. So I zap you, I uh, put you in a petri dish, and I say, ah, give him antibiotic in the knee, yeah, just tap in. All those cells that do not have this piece inside, what will happen? Now they're, they die. So we just put in there, lots of things. All those cells that might have this piece inside, what happens? They die. This gives a, a toxic product that you don't want it to be there. Some of them will survive. Seven to ten days down the drain, you'll start seeing columns. Small pile up of nice looking cells of those. small colonies of cells that are surviving. You pick them, you 
respondent, you genotype them, and you prove that they have what you want in, in the correct place. It's not understandable how efficient is this process. How efficient is to get a transgenic mouse? We said about 30% if the person knows how to do it. How fast, how often you get a true colony survival for this thing. We electrocorrelate, we try to put our DNA in 10 to the 7th embryonic stem cells. And if we are lucky after 7 to 10 days, we might get 200 to 600 colonies. So 10 to the 7th. inefficient. That's why you have to select and select and wait and things like that. From these 200 to 600 colonies, some of them have, unfortunately, pieces of our DNA vector incorporated that gives them the antibiotic resistance, but they don't have altered the correct locus. Do you understand? So from here, those that have been true homologous recombinants have gone to the correct locus and they make the correct alterations. 3 to 10. So you incorporate, you select, you build 600 colonies, you using user 96 for plates, clone everything, duplicate them in culture, freeze half of them, get the other half, prepare the main proof that your vector has been integrated in the correct place from this 200 to 600 that you, you have to find the true recombinants. How you prove that? Use PCR or Southern? Yes. Can you design me one? Asking with this information to prove that we have from 200 this the correct components. If, for example, I make two oligos that since this will be able to screen these 600 colonies and find the 3 to 10 correct ones. Not at all. Anything that survives should have this somehow inside. Yeah. Somewhere inside. So any probe that recognizes the existence of this, we talk. I mean, there are other ways that you have antibiotic resistance. So you prove that the 600 clones that you picked are antibiotic resistant. You know that. Okay? The probe or one of the oligots should not be existing in your vector. That could help. That does make sense. 
If it doesn't exist in the vector, the replacement vector, your targeting vector, there is no chance that you will see pieces. Is that correct? If this is your vector, your vector, this is your vector. Yes? And I'm making the draw or one molecule here. One here. And the second oligo on my positive here. So one is here, never exists in this contact, and one is here. Can you clarify something for me? Please. Um, so we've inserted the vector with our knockout gene, but does the embryo not still have its original functional gene? There's no instrument. We have any cells yet. We're not in cells yet? We have only cells. cells. We haven't touched embryo. Okay, we have to screen the cells. Some of them died because they never had integration. Some of them that survived could have the integration in the correct place or in pieces somewhere else. We have to be able to distinguish the correct from the not correct. No. Hmm? But they still have a genome, right? Yeah, of course. So they don't have the functional version of this gene? Yes. Well, we Your gene might not be expressing uh, unless you are 20 years of age. Who cares? What do function? Function means what? Well, if you're trying to look for a part of the target locus that you don't expect to be there, it will be there if that gene is present in the original cells. Uh, you're sure. sele you selected for the knockout, so you can you're fill selecting everything that should have it. Okay. So you uh, use the yes cells are deployed. The yes cells are deployed. The yes cells deployed. You know what it means? It has two chromosomes, two, let's say. Yes. yes? Is that clear? Yes. Let's say that your mutation is in chromosome two, on gene A in chromosome two. This process is so inefficient that the possibility of knocking out both elements of chromosome two is zero. So if you make an alteration, it will be one of the two elements. So your gene, 99.9% is functional, because it has one Ali, let's break. Is that clear? Okay, now, going back here. Okay, let's say I'm going here. This is chromosome 2. This is where your exon is. This has two alleles. Yes? This is a wild type. Yes, so nothing happened. Yes? Are we clear here? We have a DNA cell, another cell, another clone, that this will change it and became yellow. Put this spirit in whatever. Yes? This is where we are now. The question is, how can this is chromosome 1 or 2, whatever you said? Yes? There is a possibility that we have here chromosome 4. Yes? And somewhere here, we have this piece. Yes? Sure. Both of them will be resistant in the antibiotic because they carry the resistance gene. Yes? Yellow. Yeah. Both of them have yellow. Yes? But how can you say that ah, this and not? This one. This is the question. How can I distinguish the good 
From the bad. No offense to them. Good? From the bad. Okay. Same I just told you. You have to have a probe that is adjusting to your vector, but not including. Does that make sense? Could you repeat that? I didn't understand you. Now then. Could you please repeat that? I didn't you have to have a probe, a probe, a sequence, something, a piece, an oligo, that is not existing in your vector, not existing on your construct, but very adjusted, very close. Ah, here. Let's put one here. Here. It doesn't exist in your vector. Yes? This one here. It's an oligo here that can last this way. And another on, the, on this. That can go this way. Let's put it here. This was my vector from here to here. Yes? If I put an oligo here, oligo 1, and an oligo here, 2, will I be able to define what to do? Yeah. Hmm? Yes, I'm good and I know how to do PCR. I can amplify that. Okay? Will this or this oligo 2 will be binding here? Yes? What is the one though? It's in chromosome 2 and this is chromosome 4. What is the possibility that one will go and amplify this? So you want to have a probe, it could be a non-ligo, or it could be if you are doing southern, I don't know if anyone has ever done a southern here. No? Serapioactive or fluorescent probe. You can have a probe here, you digest, and you see one or two bugs using a probe that's outside here. Is that clear? So you have to go from 200 to 3 to or hmm? All of them are resistant. Any piece that contain this small marker that randomly integrate in mix the same way like in the transient technology will have this problem. But this probe, if it is adjusted outside our construct, will recognize only the true homologous recombinant. Okay? If we, from the 10 to the 7, we go to 3 or 10, which is 1 in 10 to the minus 6, huh? yes? The possibility to have this and this is how much? 10 to the minus 6 times 10 to the minus 6. I mean, you have to be really, really lucky. What if you spend all the day or your life collecting? Huh? There's no chance. Practically no chance. It can happen. It's very, very rare. Yes? We do not care in this particular case to remove the insert from the vector. We actually would like to have the plasmid so they can maintain this negative selection cassette. The only thing we need is to linearize. So we need one enzyme to cut from one side. And we put everything. Because if true homologous recombination happens, eventually this is what will happen. The replacement on the locus, or whatever is not, it will fly away and disappear. 
difference from the other technology. We just linearize one side from one side, usually from this. So we do not care for the promoter in particular, but we need to have homologous areas both on the 5' prime and 3'. Prime. So we need to have both sides of the constant to have homologous regions. The same way we do the purification, we just have to linearize and we electroporate, we pass our DNA to your cells, we describe all these things, and when we identify some of these clones that have their true homologous recombinants, yes, they have the alteration in the correct gene. They are still deployed, and we can see that by doing a chromosomal spread. Hmm? Have anyone see a mouse chromosomal spread? The only thing you can do, unless you are very into these things, is count in the mouse. Because all mouse chromosomes are proteinic. Does anyone know what I'm saying? Have you ever seen a human chromosome? Human chromosomes look like that, and the centomere in the middle? Hmm? The majority of them? A proteolytic means the centomere is here. So all chromosomes on the mouse is like that. They have the centomere in the middle. One side. So just, you can count them though. Okay? Hopefully your gene integrate your gene is not in the X or Y chromosome because that requires a different way of seeing. You have your cells and you inject now embryonic stem cells. You say cells and not DNA. The mouse embryo looks like this, called blastosis. It has a the zona perusa you can see it all around. It has this huge area, it's called cavity, it's an empty space. And this is where you put your needle. But I go inside there and you expel your ES cells there. It has these huge trophoblast cells that will give extra embryonic tissues. And it has this area here that we call inner mass, where the embryo proper is made. So after you inject your cells in here, in the cavity, and the construction of the whole thing happens, the blastocyst goes once stays behind in embryogenesis, goes to the, what's called molar stage. So it goes back the day behind. And at that time, your ES cells can overrun in production and colonize the inner mass. Whatever is here is the one that will give the embryo. Okay? No, I will be five minutes trying to finish it up if it's fine with you. Okay, so it has to go one day in the back. Blastosis has about 124 cells. You inject up to 15. 
ESOs. In the semester, bigger amount of sales in there from the 124. The larger amount is there. So these cells will colonize the inner mass, and half a day, one day later, this goes here. Again, in order to get blastosis, you have to kill the donors. Blastosis is 3.5 mouse embryo, and at 3.5 days, the blastosis are already come out of the other and is on the uterus. So eventually you cut this here and here, and you flush the uterus to collect the blastus to inject three and a half days after the plug. Since you have killed them, you have to have pseudopregnancy males. And since after the injection we have lost one day, and we want tomorrow, which is a 2.5 mouse embryo, you have to use pseudopregnancy males that are 2.5 days. 2.5 days after population. Is that clear? It's clear why. So you transfer your eggs on the uterus of a E 2.5 day pseudopregnancy male because we lost a day. In the uterus because a 2.5 mouse embryo is in the uterus. This is the correct place. Zona pellucida, which is this translucent thing, protects it from implantation. The moment you push it there, a day later, usually one and a half, zona pellucida is melting more, uh, enzymatically dying off, blastosis comes out and hatched. It's called hatched, like a bird hatching, and will invade and stick on the uterus to make pregnancy. 17 and a half days later, 17, you are proud of some mice. Why 17? Because they two and a half already were working. 19 and a half minus two and a half. Yes? Your mouse is called chimera. Chimera is from the Greek word chimera. And what is a chimera in the Greek mythology? And I'm Greek, of course. It's an animal that has the head of a lion, the body of a goat, and the tail of a serpent. In genetics, chimera is an animal that its cells have contribution from two different zygotes. What are the two different zygotes? The donor and the ESLs. We pick ESLs that are male and are goody, have light hair. Okay, I don't know who knows what a goody is. Looks like brown, but it's not brown, it's a goody, it's a specific color. We put blastosis, donors, that are black. So I can grade you how good you are by just looking on your skin. The more black you are, it means you have more contribution of the donor. The more good you are, the better you are. Have you selected blastus if they are male or female? Did you select them when you are rejecting them? I, I don't 
correct? No, you don't? No, I don't know either. Nobody can see what the blastocyst means. So we check them all with male cells. Yes? Yes, once we pick them to be made. I mean, whatever you buy, you, you, you do. Hmm? What happened? 50% should be females? Is that true? It's already past the time for that, I guess. If your injection is good, you get high colonization of the acuity in the fair, which is the ASL called color, called color. The cells come from an acuity mouse, so they're cutting the acuity locus, and they get what is called sex conversion. Who cares what is the basket? If your cells are good and they colonize, you get boys. Now the question you are saying, yeah? Is it true? No, you get everything. Eventually you get black chimeras, that could be males or females, but they are not chimeras. They have zero contribution. The contribution of the melanocytes and the skin is a representative of the condition of the germ cells. So, the black mice, you get this double color mice, and you're going to get 100% agouti mice. You can get boys, you can get girls, you can get hermaphrodites. You see them, you get them all looking agouti. You check if it's a boy or a girl, and most likely it will be a boy, and you cross it and keep your fingers crossed. To get out of this, you cross it back to the same strain that your donor X is, and you create the babies. If you are lucky enough, you get transmission. If you are lucky enough, you will have them. Questions? Have you ever seen a mouse like that? A mouse? In some of the, in some Down there. In some of the cages that I've walked by, yeah, they you know that that's what they look. Usually only coming from the tissues. Or fusions, things like that. Okay? It's a very rare. After it's crossed, all these pups will have one down. Yes, sir. So we breed the chimeric mice and select for the ones that become more agouti. Is that right? There's no more. It's yes or no. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Okay, you don't dilute. So the contribution of the melanocytes is, in most of the case, similar to the contribution of the germ cells. So the germ cells are cells, yes? Are the germ cells haploid or not? Haploid? Yeah. Yes. yes. Hmm? Yes. Okay. If the mouse is like a man, it has two different contributions, black and agouti, in both colors. Yes? His germ cells could be either from the black or from the agouti locus. Hmm? Is that clear? If you cross it with a black mouse, which is the donor, you can get, depending on his germ cells. And here is a little more complicated. So the germ cells of the male chimera. Yes, you can have a goodie 
the cells, let's say, derived code color chromosomes, or block. The strain we're injecting is if it's ever block. Okay? Or, depending on how much agouti or how much block this guy is. Hmm? If I cross this mouse with a female mouse, this is a male, with a female mouse, which is black, a good black over black, it's as if it's ever black. Her germ cells is what? Only black. Yes? So what is the outcome of this cross? Hybrids, all of them are hybrids or dominant. It will be other the deployed cells that will come, yes? The babies are deployed. It will be A over black or black black. Yes? A over this or this over this. Clear? This is black like black is like a mother. Black is a safety thing, it will be looking what in code color? Black. A good is a dominant gene. How this will be looking? Good. Okay? Okay, so this means that you have something from your yourselves. This means nothing from your yourselves. Is that clear? How many of the agouti paths have your alteration? Why 50? Why not 1 over 4? What is the 1 over 4 people? Why 50? Two chromosomes? You have only outer one. Hmm? So you could 50% of the acuity parts who have your gene in. In one copy or two? This guy, 10 to the 7, to get 10 is it's practically impossible to get twice. First of all, if it goes to the germ cell, it would be one copy no matter what. But even the possibility to have an homozygous chimera is zero. Um, it's so inefficient. But to create a knockout mouse, don't you need both genes to be your knockout variant? Yeah. So how do you go about getting that homozygous? You get this one, that 50% of those who have your mutation, and you cross them together. And what if your knockout causes infertility? <laughs> okay, the, the knockout in heterozygous in a mouse to cause infertility, unless you have hit something in the chromosome Y or something like that, is practically zero. There are very, very, very small number of dominant mutations in the mouse. It's not non existent. Okay, so the, the chimera. In the very first scenario, is heterozygous. This guy is heterozygous. That means that it has one allele functional and should be fine. In order to get this mouse to be infertile, this has to be dominant and makes too many other problems, and that's very rare. Can you just do a conditional knockout if you had a yes. steroid to create? Yeah, but you did all this, and then you realize that you have to go back for two and a half years. 
Yeah. I'm okay. to ask the first part. <laughs> After you do this, yes, he says, I'm sorry. Let's go back. Any other questions? Okay. Thank you for your time.